Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. My name's Jeremy Shirky. This is the Image Church, and we are in the fourth week of a sermon series we're doing called The Cruciform Life. Who's still confused of what the cruciform life is? We got one, two? Oh, they're new. That's cool. All right, so the cruciform life literally means taking the shape of the cross. How does our life as Christians take the shape of the cross? And we've talked about um, being refined into this image of Jesus. Specifically, we meet him at the cross, and then we, we die to ourselves there, and then we actually say, God, we want you to rule over our life. So it's, it's, um, it's basically this repeated cycle. You repent, you die to yourself, you live in Christ, repeat. This is the cruciform life. You do it over and over. So the question today actually is, why is it so hard to do? Who in here is saying that their Christian life, which seems like its own separate thing, but just their life as a Christian, they're happy where they are and it's going really well? Like you feel like, you know what, I'm actually doing really good in my Christian walk with God. I feel very close with him. I feel like I'm seeing my sin very clearly. I'm repenting all the time. And I'm just full of joy always, no matter what's happening in my life. That's what we're called to. And that's what God wants us to live in. But yet it's so hard to live this way. And so why? And so I've been asking myself this. And it's been an interesting past couple of weeks just even going through this. Um, So as I'm asking why, do you ever find that when you try to seek the truth or try to seek God, like, opposition gets more intense and more clear. It, it's, it's interesting how that, I think that works out. And I think that's the point of all of this. If, if you're not running up against opposition, uh, I would question if it's worth pursuing. Um, today's, today's sermon is actually entitled Temptation. Uh, I think as Christians, we talk a lot about sin. We talk a lot about Jesus, obviously, hopefully. We talk about the cross. We talk about these big ideas. But temptation is one of those things that we don't really talk about a lot. And in every circumstance, in every instance, our life, or in our life, everything around us tempts us not to live a cruciform life, not to live a life for God. Every second, every decision you make you are being tempted to do something other than live for God. Um, and it, a lot of us probably feel like this guy, Oscar Wilde, when he says, I can resist anything but temptation, right? Like, we think we're pretty good, and we, can, we, we got it going on, but then when temptation actually specifically geared towards us happens, we're, we're toast. It's like we don't even know how to fight that. Um, does anyone in here today struggle with temptation? right? If you're saying no, then you don't live a self-examined life because every single person struggles with temptation. Um, You know, do you struggle with the thought that if the right combination of wrong things was offered on this shiny platter right for you, that you could actually resist it? We all 
actually have specific things that we struggle with. So if there was the right combination of the wrong things offered directly to you, how would you actually resist it? Um, So there's probably actually a lot of people in here too that have given up on resisting some things, resisting some temptations, because it's been such a long struggle that you're like, I'm just a defeated person, and I'm just going to live this way, and there'll just be the thorn, what we say as Christians, a thorn in my side, and I'm okay with that. Um, You know, today, I want to bring, my hope is, when I was thinking about this week, is I want to bring all of us back to the trenches, to the, the front line of this huge spiritual war for our hearts and our affections. There is something much bigger than what we see in this world going on, and we lose sight of it because we don't see it very clearly. So I want to, today, that's my hope, I want all of us to see clearly what's really going on and live in that. So um, when, I need to say this, when I started writing this sermon, I realized very quickly, I didn't have a great understanding of what temptation actually was. I had in my mind what I thought it was, but as I kept reading and, you know, looking at the Bible, it was like, I don't, I don't even know if I know what temptation is anymore. Because if you were to ask me, maybe Monday, uh, what you thought about when you thought about temptation, I would have said probably two things. I've been like, well, you know, temptations, like I'm thinking that's the name of a strip club or an adult store, you know, <laughs> like uh, temptations, Adam and Eve, why they use biblical things, I don't know, that's its own sermon probably. Anyway, but on the flip side, I also think about like my parents and their friends, like when they say things like, well, I'm real tempted to have seconds for dessert, you know, <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what does that even mean? And it's just like, I'm so bad. I'm like, <laughs> what? So it's just like this, these two separate categories. And I, honestly, I don't know if I know, I don't know. Anyway, so temptation seemingly with, in our culture, the way we use it, it's like, hey, you want to hang out tonight? And someone's like, ooh, that's tempting, but I already got plans. And it's like, it's tempting. Like, anyway, the point is, we think of temptation as this, like, non-consequential desire. So it's like, it's not a big deal. Like, everyone's tempted. And really, actually in our culture, we think of temptation, too, as either, like, really lustful kind of desire or just, like, not a big idea. But in the Bible, tempt means test. So I want you to hear that. Tempt means test in an unrestricted sense, meaning it's not good or bad. It's just a test. And I know we have a lot of students and teachers in here, and when you hear test, you think it's terrible. Maybe so. But in the Bible, that's not what it means. It's just a test in how you're going to respond to it. So it's not good or bad. And it's actually during the 1700s, the Enlightenment. I don't care if you or think you care about this, but about 300 years ago, 400 years ago, years ago, it was attached to basically testing with evil intent. All right, so when we read temptation in the Bible, we're automatically thinking it's bad. But that's actually not what's going on. It can mean that, but that doesn't mean that's what's actually happening. So the biblical idea of temptation is not solely seduction or lusting as we think of it, but it's, it's more of putting someone to the test, okay? Which can be done out of two intentions. And I want to go over this because I think it's important. 
The first one is a gracious intent to help prove or improve our quality of life. So it's, you're being graced, actually. Someone's giving you grace to help improve your life through testing you. Or it's a cruel intent to reveal your weaknesses to trap us into wrong action. So what does that mean? It means temptation actually comes from God and Satan. To me, that was mind-blowing this week. Um, Temptation actually comes from God and Satan. So why would God test Christians? We read about that in the New Testament a bunch. Why does God test Christians? God tests his people by putting us in situations to reveal the quality and sincerity of our faith. Basically, so we can see our own heart. Now, what that means is when we live our own life, the things that are sinful, the things that are bad, the things that are wicked, we hide, we suppress, we, we pretend it's not there. And God actually tests us because when we fail, and who in here has failed majorly when tested? It's God saying, look, that's in your heart. And you didn't even know that's there. And I'm forcing it out because I love you so much that it needs to be exposed to the light and I'm giving you the opportunity to repent of it and come back to me. It's actually God's grace in testing us to bring these things lying in our heart out into the open so we can actually see what's going on in there. Because our heart is so hard to figure out. And we try and hide it and we try to ignore it all the time. But God won't do that because he loves us. So when God tests us, he desires to purify us. He wants to get these things out in the open and then repent of them and forgive them and move on. So he forces basically our hand on what we're worshiping besides God. And he pulls us out of the darkness by exposing the dark parts of our heart. So through this, he leads us again to repentance and forgiveness. And then he ultimately leads us to reassure us that he cares about us and he loves us. So God cares about us way more than we even realize. That's what I took away. When I realized the reason why God tests us is because he actually cares about us, it's like he cares about us way more than we even realize. At, at the same time and in the same way, Satan cares about us way more than we even realize. And this is actually what I really want to hit today. Um, so there are two things, I was thinking about this week, there's two things in the world right now, two worldviews, ideologies, whatever, two things that are persecuting Christians in the world right now. Do you know what they are? Um, the first one is obvious, but it's that not like applicable to us because we don't suffer from it, and it's radical Islam. So if you look what's happening in the Middle East and Asia right now, it's very reminiscent of the terror that the early church was experiencing with persecution. When you, when you see the murders, the rapes, the refugees, uh, everything that's going on, it, this radical Islamic movement is really hard for us to cope with. So m I see most of us trying to cope with it by distancing ourselves and making sure we're safe in it. It's not about like um, actually caring and going towards 
our Christian brothers and sisters and other people being persecuted, but it's like, okay, I'm going to distance myself from that because it's really bad, and I'm going to make sure I'm safe. And the reason I bring that up is because it leads to my second worldview that's really persecuting Christians today. And it's not as obvious, but it's really applicable to us. And it's called human secularism. Now, that's a big word, and basically what it means is humans worshiping humans. That is America. We live in this post-Christian nation. I hate to break it to you guys, but we're not a Christian nation. Like, the Bible does not have authority in our country. Period. And I'm willing to bet if you actually told someone that you follow what the Bible says, they'll probably think you're insane. Because they're like, the Bible? That thing that lies and that just humans wrote 2,000 years ago? Like, why would you? Use your mind. Science has disproven it. Humans are better than the Bible. Follow, like, the latest whatever that we're doing. Like, Basically, individualism, entitlement, and, and human achievement have made us all really lax, really relaxed on these facts. The world is broken and full of sinners, of which I'm the worst, and Satan cares about us way more than we even realize. Um, we live in a society where we're constantly have cloudy vision, and we're in this daze, um, and temptation is the starting point where we turn away from God. Um, so again, because we think humans worshiping humans, we're comfortable, we're good, um, we got a lot of things figured out, there's a great advancement in technology, all this stuff, who needs God in America? We don't. We, we think that we got it. We're doing good. Thank you, God, for founding this country. Now we're good. Um, so the Bible says that there's, there's three separate elements of temptation, okay? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And I'm going to go over these three, um, and hopefully you'll see why at the end. So the world is around us is basically the context for which temptation takes place. I've, I was reading, um, what was it, James 1, because it talks about temptation and testing a lot. And there was this interesting little two verses that I really didn't understand when I was reading them. So I'm going to read them to you guys. And so you can tell me what it means. Um, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, I put in Christ. Um, but the ones who are rich should take pride in their low positions, in Christ. When I used to think, and when I say used to, Monday, Tuesday, when I thought about temptation, I thought temptation came out of like difficulty or struggle, right? And it does. But what, what James is saying here is something actually really interesting. He's, he uses poverty and riches as the context, but he, he explains it to something bigger. Temptations arise out of difficulty so poverty, not having, and from seasons of blessing, riches and having. Both are actually the, the breeding grounds for temptation. Um, so we are being tempted when it's difficult and when it's easy. What does that mean? 
So when it's difficult, the conditions that make obedience difficult, poverty, persecution, difficult children, a troubled marriage, anything that makes a situation difficult to obey and easy to rationalize uh, doing wrong things. What does that mean? Like if you have a critical spouse, you're thinking, well, that actually gives me the freedom to have an affair because God cursed me and I'm going to go figure it out on my own. Um, if, if someone is really hungry and they steal food, like we, we empathize with that, but God told us not to steal. So it's like when things are hard, we can, it makes obedience very difficult to follow and trust God. But on the flip side, conditions that make it easy to sin, prosperity, obedient kids, a good marriage, etc. See, pride and spiritual indifference are two temptations, all right, that often arise when life is good. I want to say that again. Pride and spiritual indifference are the two biggest temptations, I think, facing our church right now. Um, because there are many people, and I'm saying this hopefully in the most loving way, there are many people in our church that need to repent of those two things. Um, and this morning, I'd like to go first because this actually describes me as well. Um, a lot of times I'll forget God and I'll focus on money, figuring out my family situation, uh, and then making like what we're doing and the, like what we have like the center of our life while fitting God in, Right? And I work for the church. Um, you know, I also feel like I know enough and I don't need to keep studying scripture or looking into figuring out who God is. Like, I, I know a good amount now, so I'm probably good. It's pride. Um, a lot of times, I'll play church. It's really easy to wake up and just play the game of church. You have responsibilities, you get them done. I don't even include God in it. Um, you know, like, I feel like a lot of times I rep the benefits of being part of this church while not fully in investing and sacrificing for God's mission in this world. Like, and when I'm talking about me, we're all under this as Christians. Um, we, we benefit from good things that God does, but we don't actually sacrifice for God and his mission and invest in it the same way that we're imaging God doing for us. Um, I look at my Bible like, meh. Like, maybe I should read the Bible. It's like, mm, it's a football game on, so I'm good. Um, or I'll say, you know what, I need to get around to praying today. Like it's some chore. That's because I'm prideful and I'm indifferent to God. And why is that? Because honestly, I'm living in a pretty easy thing right now. Like I'm not on the streets. Um, I have a loving family and things are easy. And so my heart, those are my temptations. Um, so the question for you guys right now is what season, what season are you in? Are you in difficulty 
or are you in a season of blessing? Because if you know which one it is, you'll be able to seek more clearly what your temptations might be. Um, now, temptations don't magically appear out of nowhere. Um, have you ever thought about that? Like, where, where do t- temptations come from? Because I would have said Satan, obviously. I blame Satan for everything because I don't want to blame myself for anything. So, but the, the truth is, temptations actually have to be birthed into existence, and they are birthed out of a, a wicked and a sinful heart. We are the ones that are the creators of temptation. Our sinful heart and what we don't like about God and what we don't think God's doing for us actually creates temptation. So um, this is what I was reading a lot uh, this week in James, uh, James 1, 14 through 15. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let's talk about the spiritual progress of our human heart. So the first stage of temptation. So we, we know the context. Are you in a blessing, or are you in poverty? Now, where along the line of temptation are you? So the first stage of temptation is seduction of our desires. Like it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Everything begins with our desire life, what we desire most. Everything, uh, what you desire is what you worship, all right? So you want something more than Christ. That's the bottom line. That's when the evil desire comes out. And you need something in addition to Christ to make you happy, to satisfy you, to make you okay, Um, what could those things be? I don't know. Is it approval on your social medias? Is it an item uh, that you can buy? Is it, is it pleasure that you want to experience? Um, is it a job? I don't know. It could be anything. But there's something in you that's desiring things are fine. But when they're elevated above Christ, there starts to be a problem. Because then in the second stage, when they start to elevate uh, above Christ, the second stage of temptation is conception. And like we said, after desire has conceived. The initial desire logs into your heart deep. And now your want is worth sacrificing God for. Like, who in here, when you hear like, uh, I've heard Jay say and other people say like, the Jews didn't kill Jesus, we killed Jesus. It's really hard for me to sometimes like, I was like, if I saw Jesus, I would not kill him. Okay, I know me. That's not what I would do. But in the same way, how many times have I desired something over Jesus and desired something over God and then thought, this is definitely more important than this. So I'm going to get rid of this because this is what I want. Daily. I do that all the time, hourly. Um, So you start planning how you can get it. This is the, you're like conceiving it. You're like, what do I have to do to actually get the thing I'm desiring more than God? Um, and though you haven't physically sinned, your heart's lusting after that new outfit, or it's lusting after that new relationship, or it's lusting after that new high. Like, I'll do whatever I have to do, pushing God aside, to get that thing. And then the final stage of temptation is birth. So you have your desire, you conceive it, and then it births. So it gives birth 
to sin. The end result of your desire uh, for something other than Christ is actually sin in your action and attitude. And this, this birth is actually a death. Um, when sin, or in sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It is another step of being mastered by something else other than Jesus Christ. You think you, you want something, you plan to get it, and then you got it. And then how many times in our life when we get it, we're like, it's useless. I feel more dead. I actually feel a sense of death in me. Um, so now, what is the role that Satan plays in all of this? Um, in First Peter, it says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is the way the devil works. He uses your external world, what's around you, and your sinful inclinations, the things that you personally, through your experiences and your own sin and wickedness, what you desire, and he traps you in your sin. We all hear this. Satan is a great accuser. He's the great accuser. His only power is twisting truth and making accusations, all right? So he'll tell you there's no way out. So when we see the, like I said, the stages of temptation, this is kind of how it plays out. So when, when your desires get seduced, this is what Satan says. He'll say, well, you might as well think about what it'd be like to have it, right? I mean, you know it's not better than God, but just... Imagine for a second how great it would be if you actually got that thing. Um, and, and then when you actually conceive a plan, Satan says things like, okay, well, you've gone this far, you've planned it out, so you might as well see if it actually makes you happy this time, right? And then when you give birth uh, to your plan and you, you attain what this desire is other than God, Satan says, you are worthless. Uh, God hates you. And everybody would hate you if they know what you did. He's constantly accusing us and attacking us in that way. So Satan tries to trap us in every stage of temptation. And life in this broken, um, sinful world is one giant temptation. And when I say that, it's one giant test. It, any circumstance is either a trap that leads to sin and death or a test that... Um, from God that will help us grow. So I'm going to read that again. Any circumstance is either a trap that leads to failure and sin or a test from God that will help us grow. Temptation is a trap or it's a test. A trap leads to sin and death. A test builds our faith. John Owen said this, and I think it's pretty good. He said, thus temptation is like a knife. It may be used or be useful to cut meat or to cut the throat of a man. It may be a man's food or poison, his exercise or his destruction. So what makes the difference? What makes the difference between this trap or this test? Um, when is it used for our benefit or for our downfall? It all depends on the inner condition of yourself in the midst of whatever circumstance. Where is your heart's affections pointed to? What is our worship responding to? Um, the only way 
to not get trapped is to know who you are and then who you follow, okay? When we look at the cross, we are either condemned or saved. We said this at the beginning of the series. When you look at the cross, you see God's wrath is against sin, and he's going to destroy all sin one day. It's very clear. We can see that at the cross. And if I'm going up to God and I have sinned, which all have sinned, all fallen short, we are all condemned. And this is what the punishment of sin is. It's death. But also at the cross, we see the wrath hitting, but we also see God's love hitting because we're also saved if we're in Christ because Christ has bore our punishment for us. So if you put your faith, faith in Christ, he is now your protection and he has died for you. He has wiped your uh, slate clean. You are no longer a sinner and you are alive in Christ. So you're either condemned or saved at the cross. Everyone's one or the other in the whole world when they look at the cross. And I think a lot of people who aren't Christians avoid the cross because if they really looked at it, they would know they're condemned. But a lot of Christians don't look at the cross because they don't believe that God's that loving for them. So my question is, if we're saved, if you're in here today and you're saved, you're alive. You've been given new life. And if you're alive, you should know that God didn't save you to live like a dead person. There's a reason God saved all of us, right? And the question is, how do you actually live like someone who's alive? We follow the one who made us alive, the life giver himself who keeps filling us with life, all right? We are tempted to seek life everywhere else, but everything not of God ends in death. Everything not of God ends in death, period. And in a world of temptation, you have to live wide awake. This is what I wanted to talk about today. You have to live wide awake. As the kids say, you have to stay woke, okay? Uh, everything in this society wants to lull us asleep, make us sleepwalk away from God, and then get devoured by Satan without even knowing it, all right? This is why your relationship with God needs to be ever constant. Why Christians say, read the Bible every day. Why we say, never cease in praying. Because we are in a real life or death spiritual battle at every moment. So we, we take things like, read your Bible every day and like, don't be, don't be a Pharisee. Don't be legalistic. And it's like, I'm trying to survive, okay? I'm just trying to survive right now, today. I need to pray because I know my heart, it wanders very easily, right? And so it's real. We, get, we slip up, we slip off, we get distracted, we, we start turning away from God. And like I said, we're, we're sitting ducks. So we, we get seduced very easily by our own desires. We, we birth ideas, we sin, and then we experience a form of death. So I was thinking about it this week too, like, why does the Bible, like, tell us to wear armor in Ephesians 6? Okay, why should we be spiritually alert? Why should we be filled, quote, drunk with the Holy Spirit and not of alcohol? Because if we're not, our circumstances will dictate our life. Our flesh will wander to new sinful desires, and Satan will trap us while we turn away from God. This is, it's, it's real, like, even the idea that people will say, you know, don't be so religious, 
It's like, get behind me, Satan, because you are lying. Like, it's not about being religious. You're, you're twisting the truth. There's a real thing going on. It's not about being religious. There, it's real. Um, and I was also thinking, like, I can't expect to resist big temptations in my life if I haven't been alert in fighting the small daily ones. Okay? It, like I said before, it's like, when I think about if the, the right combination of wrong things was handed to me on a silver platter, it'd be hard to resist that. Why? Because I'm very relaxed, very nonchalant about the daily spiritual battle going on. So I'm not seeking God in every moment, right? Because I'm just like, yeah, Christ is cool. Satan's, I, I don't know, Satan's not that real. I'm doing well. So it's, it's like you have to resist the, uh, the little ones because the big ones will come. If you've been married for a long time, I know you've been through a bunch of stuff. If you've had kids for a long time, you've been through a bunch of stuff. You could testify. Anyone who's older in the room today can testify. The big ones will come. And that's why the day today is so important. Um, so we have to live wide awake. And uh, we have to, you know, stay woke in this cruciform life. Um, constantly seeking life itself from the source, which is Jesus Christ. So the way that you seek Christ is coming into his light by confessing your sins, asking forgiveness, and trusting in Christ's work to forgive you and his spirit to give you new life. There is this battle between God's spirit and, the, and Satan. You always see the two things on the shoulders, right? Like a demon and an angel. Well, it's actually Satan and the spirit. And they're both saying different things to you. So Satan traps us by saying, keep your sin a secret, your temptation's a secret, because you know, God probably already knows and he secretly hates you. And if people knew, they would definitely hate you. And they would not want nothing to do with you. They would reject you and think you're completely despicable. Well, welcome to the despicable church because everyone in here is despicable, just like you. Your sin doesn't really outweigh anyone else's sin. We all have wicked and evils and uh, darkness in our heart that we have to expose to the light if we ever want to be free from it. Okay, so, and that's where the Spirit comes in. He tests us by saying, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So church, you have to name what you desire, what you desire more than God and seek forgiveness. This is the part of staying wide awake. All this is great. The question is, for you, what do you desire more than God? Is it personal comfort? Is it, is it success? You want to be the best, and you'll do whatever you have to do. Is it control? If I was in control, my life would go a lot better than if God's in control. Uh, is it power? Do you, do you want to be worshipped? Is it to be adored, let people talk about you and just think you're the greatest? Uh, is it achievement that when you die, everyone's like, you remember what they did? They are just the best. You know, is it being right all the time? Is it just pleasure in itself? Like you think that having these small highs of pleasure, whatever your specific pleasure is, is better than actually desiring God and seeking God. So what makes your life worth living other than Christ? What 
what would be really hard to let go if, if it was gone and you couldn't fill it up with anything else but God? Um, when are you most content not in Christ? When you are wondering, when are you most content and happy even though you're not with God? When do you get angry with God? What makes you so angry with God? What are you getting that you don't want? And what are you not getting that you really want? All of these things help point out, like, as you seek Jesus more and more on the cross, as you lay your life down, your desires down, God will rule over your life, and you will be reminded that even though you love something more than God, Jesus is still completely committed to you. So when we answer these questions, when we bring it out, the whole thing is, Jesus is still committed to us. You don't have to be scared of that. If you're in Christ, he knows everything. He's already died for it. And you hiding it and holding on to it the temptations, the sin, whatever it is, it's going to eat you alive. For me, I would love for our church to be a church where we freely are talking with one another about what's happening in our lives, where we're being tempted and where we're sinning and failing and then heaping grace on one another. It's scary. And we're not that church right now. Like, I think we have a little bit of that going on, but man, if we want to be the vision of what God saw his church to be, imagine coming to a place where you had no fear sharing your deepest pains and hurts and your deepest sins because you knew that people would embrace you and remind you of God's love and forgiveness and that as you keep bringing into the light that he's going to shape you and purify you. Um, God was committed uh, to us to the point of death. It's a hard thing to actually think about, that an eternal, forever God, this God outside of time and space, would actually come and experience death and die on the cross in Jesus Christ um, because he was that committed to um, making us right with him because we couldn't do it ourselves. Jesus who is God, was tortured and broken and his blood was spilled. He felt like the most immense pain. He felt God's wrath on the cross for the all sin of humanity because God is that committed to each one of us as his children. This is why we take communion. I want us to bring the communion stuff up now. You know, we do communion every week, and it's hard for me sometimes because I, I get lax with communion. It's just playing church, right? People get up, and they come take communion. And it's like, well, I guess I'll just follow the pack, and I'll do it too. And a lot of times, I don't really think about what's actually happening. Like Jesus told us to do two sacraments, was to baptize and then take communion. And we take communion because we need to remember we need to live presently. We need to stay wide awake that Jesus really died 
He really resurrected. He really ascended into heaven. He's up there right now interceding for all of us to, with, to the Father so that we can actually come home to our creator. I mean, this is the truth of the universe. We don't see that when we're out and about in our daily life, but this is what's true. So today, I, I want you to think when you come forward to take this, that, this, that Jesus experienced every temptation that we do. Is that not crazy? Everything that we've experienced as temptation, Jesus experienced, and he didn't sin. So why is that awesome? Because this, in the same way God the Father made a way for Jesus, God the Father will make a way for us in Jesus, in the same temptations. So please, identify your temptations. Think about that right now as you come and take uh, the bread and the wine. Just what is it that you want more than God? Repent. Remember that God is displayed ultimately in Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember who you are. You are a, a needy, broken, prideful human, desperate to be reunited with your Father in heaven, your creator, your source of eternal life. Wake up. Wake up. Stop, stop, just stop sleepwalking through this life. Wake up to what's real. Repent. Come home. Come eat and drink. And let's praise the one who's faithful to us, even though our pride and spiritual indifference is towards him. Let's pray together.